got a very wonderful, godly wife. I mean, I got a real godly wife. Uh, my wife and I both grew up in very similar circumstances, very evil homes. Um, my wife uh, grew up in a welfare home. My wife was on welfare uh, her whole life. Until in high school when she got a job and she was able to buy uh, some clothes that had not been worn by somebody else the first time in her life. Uh, my wife's family was very wicked and evil, but she committed herself to Christ and lived a very godly, pure life in a very impure home in a very impure section of town. And uh, when she was a teenager, she decided to backslide. And she put on some lipstick and put on some fingernail polish, red of course, and went to three movies. And uh, she was sitting in the church and the pastor went all painted up and the pastor asked her for a testimony so she stood up and said she was safe, sanctified, coming again or whatever and sat down real quick. And was very angry that he would ask a backslider to give her testimony. But anyway, that's the wicked woman I married, and uh, <laughs> and has been a real example for our daughters. One of the most thrilling things that you could hear your daughters say is the person they most want to be like is their mother. And that was such a, a, a thrill for us. But um, my life was radically changed uh, when I was pastoring in Tacoma, Washington. I was asked to go to a seminar to pay a guy to teach me the Bible, which very, very unnerved me. I thought the nerve, I thought this is the most horrid thing I ever heard of. You take offerings, you don't charge for some guy, ex-youth pastor at that, to preach the gospel. So I went to hear this ex-youth pastor. He was just a kid and uh, many, many years ago. And we were in a church and they put some tables together and then put a blackboard on top of the tables because he's short. He had to stand on these tables and did this seminar on a blackboard with chalk. You know, wrote these diagrams on a back blackboard with chalk. After he was through, we heard that there were seven principles, but we weren't sure what they were. Now, if you saw my old notebook, it's not very organized. And we got together, some of us tried to figure out what were the seven principles those guys trying to talk about. But while he was there, I happened to do something that uh, I've regretted at times. I had an ATI dad call me last week, or I called him. If you've called the office, I call you back between 5 in the morning and 8 o'clock before my first council eight, And I called this guy, ATI dad. His wife um, has had it. His two older kids, uh, his daughter is pregnant and not married, uh, won't live at home, and uh, will um, maybe get married in a year or a half or two years. Uh, the son is in rebellion and got married. He's got two younger kids. His wife is really fearful. Don't you think she has a reason to be fearful? I mean, here's the two older kids are just, you would never know that they're a Christian. There's no sign of Christianity at all in the two older kids. And now they've got these two younger kids coming along. And uh, he doesn't pray. And he doesn't read scripture. He, has, he does nothing spiritual with his family. It's hard to believe. I mean, especially in this program. Isn't it hard to believe? But uh, anyway, that's where he is. And so I asked him if he did the same thing that I did that many times I wish I hadn't have done. I think it's on Friday night at the seminar. Uh, Bill Gothard asked, would you be willing to what? Give five minutes to God in the Bible. 
And he said, raise your hand. I thought, well, as a pastor, I mean, obviously, five minutes. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> obviously, I give him five minutes. So I raised my hand. I'll do five minutes. So um, I went back, and this time we were in a bigger place because we went and told our friends they ought to go hear this youth pastor do his thing. And so the, it was growing. In fact, it really grew. It grew from a small church to like 32,000 practically overnight. And um, I don't know. I can't remember where we were, but it was a big group, a lot of people. And go to Ecclesiastes 5, guys. I mean, why not go back when it's free? Now get your money's worth. Um, but in Ecclesiastes 5, remember he says, uh, don't give the sacrifice of fools and all of that. And um, verse 4, you guys know it real well if you've been to seminar very many times. When thou vowest unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that you should not vow then you should vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before an angel, it was an, it was an heir, wherefore God should be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands. He read that again or quoted it. And I'm sitting there as a pastor and I thought, I haven't done my five minutes. It's been six months. Well, I mean, I'm sure I did it for a week or two. But I didn't do my five minutes. I mean, oh yeah, I prepared messages, but that wasn't that wasn't what I raised my hand for. I was going to spend time preparing messages. It was just to prepare my own heart. And when you're a professional Christian, often that doesn't happen. And trust me, I work with missionaries all over the world. You just do everything for ministry, but nothing for yourself. And I thought, destroy the works of your hands. You know what I thought of? My four children. And there came a time to go forward. There was a couple of ladies ahead of me. I knocked them down on the floor. Not quite. Get out of my road. <laughs> I got to get up front here. I got to see this guy. And I went up and I said, what do I do? What do I do? What do you mean? I said, oh, man, you, you made me make a vow. <laughs> it's all your fault, Bill. <laughs> and I didn't do it. And now God's going to destroy the work of my hands. And he's so wise. And he said, now you own 10 minutes. <laughs> I thought, man, I better start doing it on my own days, you know. <laughs> but guys, if you made that vow and things aren't going well in your home and you're not fulfilling that vow, you may own 10 minutes. Okay. You know, it's better not to raise your hand than raise your hand and not do it. Somehow angels take note of it. Did you see that in scripture? The angel was take, took note of that vow. So maybe there's vow angels. I don't know. They know about it. So if you're having a struggle, when Ed was sharing that about in the scripture, that's a good place to start, isn't it? Am I? Is, am I? Are we having struggles in my fam in our family because I'm not fulfilling the promises that I made to God? Just share. We we get uh, some real, real. Tragic phone calls. In fact, every time we get a new girl, she just wants, almost wants to quit because they can't believe how awful things are out there amongst Christians and Christian families. God has allowed me to speak at many homeschool conventions, you know, state conventions. I'll be doing the state of Illinois next month. 
and uh, done Chia. That's a bigger wing of 7,700 there last year and had opportunity to get up in this year and share with the men and women and kids and stuff at these different conventions. So most of my counseling is homeschool. And most of my counseling is men. And half of my counseling is ATI fathers. Um, we get, at our office, around 6,000 phone calls for help a year. And we have, you know, more than one office. And much of that is ATI families that are hurting. This is just in the last month. Just wanted to share with you. A man came for counseling, and uh, he had gone $20,000 debt on immoral phone calls. Besides the money he spent, this is money beyond his salary and all he was spending. He owed $20,000, and for guys to get caught up into that trap of evil, that is not a whole lot of money to owe. Many owe many more thousands of dollars on these chat things. Um, two weeks ago, I got a telephone call from a family whose uh, uh, fa who's father and husband was coming to see me, who was in bondage sexually, but he wouldn't be coming because he killed himself. He felt there was no hope, and he just could not live the way he was living. So his brother said, could I come? And his brother came, and I walked with his brother. His brother was in bondage, also in bondage, uh, in uh, pornography and, and all that kind of stuff. And he talked to his younger brother, and his younger brother's kind of quiet and shy, and he said, what's happening? And he said, Logan is really helping me. He said, I'm really, for the first time, he'd been to a lot of sex counseling and all of that kind of stuff, but never from the Word of God. And he said, my life is radically changing this week. And my brother said, I've never talked much, but I had the same problem as both my brothers. So all three boys, all in bondage sexually. Um, an interesting one. Um, I got a call from a father, ATI dad. He's been to a lot of things. In fact, he may even be in here. Um, I don't remember his name even. I don't remember names. It's hard to remember names. You talk to so many hundreds of people. But um, this dad uh, just wasn't into warfare. I mean, he heard me, but he wasn't into warfare. I mean, and it was kind of in the Bible, but his church wasn't into it, and he wasn't into it. And uh, he was at work, and he was alone. He was on the Internet, and he was surfing the Internet for evil. And we get so many telephone calls of ATI boys, ATI fathers, homeschool boys, homeschool dads, uh, surfing the internet and pulling up pornography. And his dad pulled up some pornography and was watching it. He had been involved in pornography years before, but just wanted to see what was out there. And, and he was looking at this stuff. Uh, he felt bad about it after he did. Uh, he turned it off, went and picked up his son, and where his son was, came home, walked in the house, and his wife said, what were you doing 20 minutes ago? What, what, how do you mean? He said, what were you doing 20 minutes ago? That was evil. I said, what do you mean? He said, our daughter was sitting in this chair, 
and she was thrown out of the chair and hit her head at the side of the table. She did not fall out of the chair. She was thrown out of the chair. What were you doing? I said, I was on the internet looking at pornography. He said, Logan, I believe in warfare. Uh, Dad, I'll tell you, Satan wants to bind what? The strong man and do what? And go after the family. And that's why the real key, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Because you're the key. The dads are the keys. Your boys are here. Uh, these boys will be the key as they take on the responsibility of, of, of being um, a father and a husband. Um, but in seeing um, ATI families, especially in ATI families, I think, have a higher standard than other families because they have so much more information than so many of the homeschool families have. And the thing that has grieved me is how many teenagers in this program could care less what their dads think about anything. They don't care. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't care what my dad thinks. And literally, the, the thing that... that uh, that made me, as I was sharing with Bill, I said, Bill, these kids are not interested in the blessings of their father. And one of the things that I want to work on this weekend, and I put a, work a lot on it, because <clears throat> I've been thinking about this a long time, how do we do this? How do you create an atmosphere in your home that your kids would want your blessing? There are ATI families who are getting invited to the wedding. They're getting married on Saturday. Are you going to come or not come? And they don't even know. You know, I don't care. Well, like this girl that you're talking about, Ed. She's given her heart to the boy. She's bypassed her dad. She bypassed her parents. How can we, how can, what can we do? Remember Esau wept because he missed a blessing and Esau is not high on the spiritual list. Um, and then the other thing is getting our lives right before the Lord. So there's like two issues that I want to work on. The one is, you know, becoming the man that can bless. If I'm going to put a blessing on my children, then my life has got to be right if the blessings going to work, as, as we look through the scriptures and look at this thing of, uh, of, of blessings. And when we finish something, um, I would very much like, if you have any questions to discuss, we've got a lot of hours, and I think we can learn from each other. Maybe some of you are doing this, you're putting blessings on your children. When our, uh, The first time that blessings became important to me is when our daughter got married, our oldest girl. That um, the one that Bill Gothard talks about, and um, I thought, what do you do when a daughter gets married? Now I was going to perform the the, the ceremony, um, but you just say goodbye. And I prayed. I said, God, I mean, she's lived in our home. She's been a joy. She's been such a godly young lady. If you just say goodbye, what do you do? How do you bring closure to a daughter getting married? What do you just do? You know, besides. Buy her wedding dress. And um, 
have a lot of sons because it's very expensive when daughters get married. <clears throat> well, as I was looking through scriptures and I was reading in Genesis, God directed me to Rachel. It's very interesting. Rachel, remember the, the fellow proved he could take care of her? I mean, here, here's a, you know, these solid gold, all this gold stuff, put it on. My master is very rich and gave him all this stuff and he proved that he could take care of her. He, he was old enough to be married, you know, all of that. And she wouldn't go. And what was the very last thing, do you realize what was the last thing that happened to Rachel before she left the house? Do you remember that? The family put a blessing on her. The very last thing when she went out of the house to get married is they put a blessing on her. So the very last thing we did at our house as our daughter was going for marriage was we gathered around her and the family prayed a blessing on her. Well, our oldest daughter is almost 14 years older than her younger brother. Our son is a youth pastor. And so uh, when Richard got married, just got married at 27, so I got married about maybe four years ago, five years ago. Uh, and of course, the family's now all over. They're all over different places in the United States. We all were here, gathered together at the church, and all of the extended families gathered around Richard, and each family played a blessing on him. It was the last thing we did as our single son was to pray God's blessing, and each family member prayed a special blessing on him. And blessings can be so beautiful and so wonderful. But we want our kids to want the blessing. Uh, I like what Ed said, and I'll throw this out for the kids because I'm not going to be talking to you kids here. I may, Bill may have me talk to you in Indianapolis, or, or not Indianapolis, you know, down in Knoxville. That's interesting, down in Knoxville, you never know what you're going to do. And I said, I can shoot from the hips, you know. Bill, I can help you, I'll just go in there and blast away. You know, <clears throat> but... Uh, Here's our son. He's 26 years of age. He's been a youth pastor for about five years. Um, he was living at home, and my wife thought it'd be a good idea if he got an apartment so he would know the cost of things because he had no idea the cost of anything. So he got an apartment about three blocks away from us. And uh, the first month, my wife said, I think he ran out of food. <laughs> he was taking kids, he'd take kids from the youth group out to pizza and stuff like that. But when he lived at home, he didn't have to worry about money. And I said, I'm my thing. Give him some money. And then my wife, my wife's so smart. She says, no. She said, then what, what, how will you learn for next month? You know, maybe he just needs to go hungry. Yeah, but he ate lunch every day with his mother, so he didn't go too hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> Richard came to us, and he said, I, I, we, we did an inner city work in Chicago, and there was a girl there that took my eye. He said, uh, you, you guys don't know her. She's uh, been in the church, but... Um, she is. Uh, she was going to university, uh, studying to be a school teacher, and we didn't know her. And he said, uh, "But you know her mom and dad. And what do you think about me contacting your father for permission to get to know her?" And uh, I mean, he's 26. And it's not that a kid can't make decisions. He can make decisions. He had a very successful youth group. And uh, so we said, "Yes, we think it would be a very good idea." So anyway, he he got to know her, asked her dad's permission. And then he came to us and he said, I'd like you to have Diana for dinner one more time. And this is the girl he gave his heart to. And he said, but if you see at that meal, after the meal, if you see anything in her 
that you feel that she would not be the right life partner for me, I'll break it off. But if not, I would like to ask her to marry me. Guys, I would like you to have that same relationship with your son. That they would be willing for someone that they love because mom and dad have a check in their spirit who are willing to call it off. It's, it's wonderful. I shared that at the wedding. And then my son prayed the wedding prayer. Now, the church was packed out because it's a successful youth group. So all the 200 kids in the youth group all brought their parents. So the church is just packed out with parents. And so we're mentioning this thing about asking for permission to date and all this stuff. And then Richard's going to pray the prayer. Before he did, he said, I am so thankful that I kept myself pure for this day. And Diana did too. And we prayed. And people going out saying, we never heard this before. We never heard about kids being involved with their parents. <laughs> all this kind of, we can't believe this. And some of the youth went out and said, if Richard stayed pure, if my girlfriend doesn't want to stay pure, I'm dumping her. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> we didn't know. We're just sharing. That's what families are about. I mean, to you guys, you know this stuff, right? But it's amazing how people have never heard anything like this. You know, it's just uh, we're living in such a, a wicked time. So the two things, the blessings and also the um, getting our lives ready. I would like you to go to a very strange passage. Genesis chapter 2. God is so good. Now, I knew I was coming here long before you knew I was coming. And um, praying about what we could share and how we could help you guys. And, you know, from the people that come to see me, you know, what, where, where are guys hurting today? And what are the struggles? What are the struggles of their, of their kids? We get a lot of, I counsel a lot of teenagers, teenage boys, that are losing it. Um, I hope that none of you have the internet in your house. I just can't tell you. It's just, it's just whatever benefit it is, the potential evil for your children, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Get on Gothic's program or whatever. Do something. That, um, and I know his program's expensive and you don't get a bunch of hours. That's what I hear. But I take it to homeschool stuff and I tell all the homeschool people to do that. You know, I, I said this at Knoxville. I say things at Knoxville like, how do I have the nerve to say that? You know, to all these real nice Christians. Um, but, you know, I really believe if you have a computer in the basement with the internet on it and your kids have access to it, and your sons do, you might as well put a box of pornography in your son's bedroom and tell them don't look at it. Because what, what gets guys into all this stuff? Curiosity. Can it really be that bad? I wonder what's really there. I wonder what's on there. And all of a sudden, these kids get hooked. And pretty soon, they're in bondage. And it's a tragedy. I had an ATI boy in the North Woods. Were some of you guys in the North Woods at that father-son thing we did? Were you up there? Well, I had a boy in my room at midnight, an ATI boy 15 with voices speaking out, having like epileptic seizures all over the couch. And every time I tried to get help, because I was all alone with this kid, and he's, I mean, he was, his muscles had muscles. You know, he didn't need the demonic help to hurt me. And I thought, man, we, you know, I'm not getting anywhere. I spent an hour trying to get these voices to stop talking out of him, his not to have these seizures and all this kind of stuff. Finally, I opened the door and hollered down the hall. If you know what the big room is, there was a kid down there waiting to see me, the next kid. 
And I said, go get another kid that I know that I visited. His, the Showalters, you know the Showalters. They, I worked with the Creed Indians with them up in Canada. I knew and he's heading up the, the Telos program. Um, he's doing something with all the video stuff, the dad. Well, his two sons are up there as, as alert guys. And so I just hollered out. I said, go get Showalter. Drag him out of bed. I said, he, he understands this kind of stuff. He can't be on any reservation and not see voices speak out of people and all this kind of stuff. And these guys came, and it took us another two hours, about three o'clock in the morning, just to, to get the demonic stuff to stop. Just I started opening the Bible and talking to the kid. That's how bad he was. Internet, pornography, you know, the whole, all this stuff. And it was all at home. This kid didn't get trapped at a neighbor's house. He got trapped in his own house. But the stuff that his folks, I mean, that's not what they wanted, but they didn't. They weren't careful, right? You know, I may be old, but I just can't go along with the new morality. I'm sorry. It isn't right. I'm seeing these kids so messed up, so hurting, weeping in my office. Some of the kids want to kill themselves because they feel they're hopeless. Now, in Genesis, as we were praying about what to do and, you know, the Word of God and all of that, I want you to go to Genesis 2, 15. Very interesting verse. And I always read it, and I read it wrong. I never looked it up. You have, a, you have one of those, I always say Zodiades. What was the guy's name? That's Zodiades rather than Spiriades. Where's the Spiriades? Okay, Zodiades. Okay, if you got a Zodiades, check me out. And uh, if it isn't there, he's wrong. No. <laughs> no, but check it out. Look up. Look up the words. Uh, but it's interesting. I never would have looked this up. In verse 15, it says, The Lord took man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So I, my dad was a gardener. And uh, I did gardening all, all through junior high and high school. We did homes in Beverly Hills, California. In fact, we did a beautiful home. It was the Marion Davies Beach Home, who was the old silent movie star who was the, the girlfriend of, of uh, the guy who owned all, Randolph Hearst. And we did her, her yard. And for me to edge the bed in her front yard in the old days, you know, you had to do it by hand on your knees. It took me one day just to go around the front bed. She had a fish pond bigger than any swing pool I've ever seen. We're talking about houses. And she had, I remember having to do the, the, the hedge up her driveway. She had street lights up the driveway from the street to her house. Unbelievable place. And my dad was very, very critical. And so here I'm doing this, you know, the big privacy hedges, the old days with these things and clipping them on with the ladder and moving it up and take me all day to do the thing. And my dad said, you dipped right there. My dad and I did not have a good relationship. You read my book. I hated him. Because he always put me down. He always found fault with anything I did. So I guess it was his way of motivation, but it didn't motivate me. It made me feel worthless, that I couldn't do anything. So I had a horrible self-image. Now, dress it is pruning and mowing the lawn. Like, you know, um, this kid over here. Um, I can't think of David. David's shaking his head. David's going to do the overhead because I can't spell and David can't uh, later on. But um, David's got a super suntan. And uh, he's on uh, Gothage payroll, and I could just see him, you know, laying around in the lawn with his shirt off, getting a suntan, and figured he's becoming a sloth. Or, uh, but David and his dad, if you haven't met them, meet them, talk to them. They're the guys that are trying to redo the big 
hospital in uh, Little Rock. You know, a huge, big hospital. There are the guys that are working there and, and working on that. But David got that uh, sunburn from just all day long, just mowing the lawns around the hospital. This, this thing that they have. So talk to them about their ministry, what you can do and be involved. They could use your help, right? Couldn't they? Yeah. I met them in Russia. First time I met that family was when they were in Russia. But the last thing here is guarded. The word keep it is guarded. God told Adam to guard the garden. What was he to guard it from? That's what the word means. Keep means to guard. He that keepeth the city. Remember, read those words, keep it. You look it up in the back of your Bible, it's guard. Who was Adam to guard the garden from? The intruding of Satan into his family. And when Satan came and spoke to Eve, the indication in Scripture is that Adam was standing there. He did not protect his wife. She didn't have to go get him to give him something. She turned and gave him to Eve. And so dads, if there's anything that we uh, can get across this week is how can you effectively guard your family from the intrusion of the enemy into your family. He'd like to get in there and spoil your family. He wants to bind you and then he wants to go after the house. 